I mean, I feel privileged to be around people who are different than me. And I hope that God has made me a peacemaker. That's what I'm trying to be. And my boss is definitely a peacemaker, much more than me. That's what we aim to do. And we aim to bring a culture of peace and unity amongst people that believe very different than one another. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Ah, you guys, this is a good one. Right now, we are in a series called For the Love of Faith Shakers. (laughs) I don't think I need to explain why I like this conversation, why I like this guest roster. I love people who push us past our comfort zones, who ask hard questions, who bring us a different perspective, a different angle, who challenge unjust systems, even if they are cloaked in essentially the impeachability of faith, right? And so we're focusing on the people doing dynamic and different things in faith spaces and how their moves are positively impacting the world, even people of faith. And so today's conversation is really, really interesting. Because we are locating this discussion in a place where so many of us find it really hard to show love, which is evidently the cornerstone of faith, if if you read it like that. That is this very highly divisive political landscape, right? We are just convinced that we are right. All of us are. And that if we are right, that everybody else is categorically wrong and against good in the world, right? It's gotten, it's gotten to that point. And then of course, religion gets caught in the crossfire as it often and has forever been weaponized against certain groups, certain communities, or it is used to uphold long held broken systems that don't sincerely have a biblical basis at all. Right. And they're, they're even anti-biblical or it's even universally blamed for all the ills. When sometimes the weaponization we see are these radical factions of religion who just tarnish it, right? And I think all this behavior works against people who truly do want to, they do want to love in Jesus's name. And it's a hundred percent pushing people further away, not just from God, but from even the understanding that God is actually love. There isn't another category. God is love and all love and only love, right? We knew we wanted to locate one of these episodes in DC, which is tricky right? It's not all one thing, but it's important because this it's, it's representative of our public discourse. And then more importantly, the direction of our country, legislation, policy, rhetoric. So looking at this very highly emotional and volatile and even nuanced topic, we needed somebody who could take it apart compassionately and who has been standing on the front lines. So to help us really understand and digest what it is we've been seeing and watching from an insider's perspective. So you guys, I'm so happy to welcome this week's faith shaker, Lisa Schultz to the show. Let me tell you about Lisa. She is the chief of staff for United States Senate chaplain, Barry Black. She directs all of chaplain Black's programs and outreach to all senators, their families, and any Senate staff. She's been in this position for 15 years and has been overseeing all Capitol Hill-focused ministries. Like, that intersection is bananas, right? And just FYI, prior to her job on Capitol Hill, she was a missionary in Austria for seven years. This conversation is, you're going to love it. We really get into what does faith look like in Washington, D.C. right now? What does the faith of our government leaders look like right now? How are you bridging faith conversations in a bipartisan way when nothing is bipartisan ever, anywhere, anymore? What are you seeing? What's hopeful? What's scary? It's all in here. Okay, Lisa was incredibly transparent, really forthcoming with her perspective and experience, and also hopeful. There's some hope baked into this conversation, which I'm so glad for. And so she has a very unique perspective on faith in our highly charged political world. And so, so glad that you are here to dig in with us today. I'm just very pleased to share my conversation with the absolutely wonderful Lisa Schultz.
Lisa, I am so like genuinely excited to have you on the show today. I am so looking forward to hearing about your work and your opinions and your take on things right now. And thank you for making time for this out of your like bonkers schedule. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for asking me to be on my second podcast ever. So <gasps> are you serious? I'm usually really behind the scenes and I like to ask questions. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is very uncomfortable, but good. <laughs> You're doing incredible. Okay. Lisa, I've filled my listeners in already a little bit about who you are, but for those who are new to you and your work, would you mind sort of high leveling for us who you are, like who your people are, where you are, what you do? I grew up in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, a little bit like you, Jen, and went to Oklahoma State, went to University of Central Oklahoma. Then I Spent my 20s in a ski town in Austria, which is random, I know, but really fun. And then my parents moved from Oklahoma City to DC. And I wanted to live somewhere a little bit more international when I came back. And so I moved into their, their top of their house when I was 28, their attic. And that's how I ended up in DC. And then I met my husband a couple of years later, Tim, who's from Wichita, Kansas. I planted in DC and I have two kids, two boys that keep me very busy, (laughs) nine and 11. I'm an Anglican. I work for the ACNA. I'm a reverend now. I got ordained a year ago, which I love it. Crazy. I love it so much. And I also have done 19 years of work on Capitol Hill and 15 years for the Senate chaplain. And so I'm currently the Senate chaplain's chief of staff. So that's the high level. (laughs) Can you just for those of us who don't exactly understand what it means to be the Senate chaplain and his chief of staff, can you kind of talk about that position a little bit, What, how it functions, what's its parameters, how long has that position been in play? So we've always had prayer as a country before the Senate or before our legislative body convened. So we've always opened our legislative body in prayer. This was even before we were a country. So good trivia. And this has just been a historical thing our country's always had. We've always had a chaplain. It used to be rotating chaplains. They used to bring in clergy from D.C. to the Capitol to pray. But then they made a position. And so my boss is currently the 62nd chaplain. And when the 61st chaplain came, he, he thought it was crazy just to have one person to minister to like 9,000 people <laughs> in the Senate. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> He spoke with the majority leader and said, hey, I really need a staff to do this kind of work. I need a staff and a budget. And so the Senate voted to give him a staff to make to have like a little budget. <laughs> but we minister essentially to people of all faiths in the Senate community. And this is very important because senators are not with their faith community when they're in D.C. You know, they, they fly in for the week and then they go home. So we are available. Everything we do mainly is personal and confidential. Because I'm Christian, I can minister out of my faith tradition. So I'm able to lead Bible studies. My boss is also a Christian. And so he does that as well. So we have various groups that meet throughout the week, Bible studies for senators and for staff and for chiefs of staff. And so chiefs of staff are the people that run the offices for the senators on Capitol Hill. So that's what I do for Chaplain Black. It's really... That's the... the condensed version. I really can only imagine. It's fascinating to hear you say this for a million reasons. My brain is just working through the logistics of a position like yours that has kind of, you know, a faith forward posture with the Senate that is all over the place, like just all over the place. I mean, your work is obviously bipartisan, like clearly, oh yeah. <laughs> but, but you're not working with a bipartisan body of people. And so this feels complicated. And I just have a million questions. Like the political landscape in the U S right now is just, it's so volatile and it's so divided. And there's a lot of things going on right now in our country, just among the general population that feels scary in my lifetime, I never expected democracy to feel wobbly. And so 
I have a lot of questions around this for you, but let's start here. Can you talk about what, let's just say, let's just say loosely like the last six, seven years, let's, let's kind of go there in that time frame. have looked like for you, like from your side of things, as you are dealing in a, in a carte blanche way with senators from both political parties and from every state in the United States, how has this work been for you? I, I'm just so curious what you've seen and how, if at all, and maybe you'll say no, but if your work has shifted, if your ministry has had to shift a little. Yeah, I think it's been a really stressful few years, if I'm, if I'm really honest and reflective over what's happened. And I was thinking about, I was talking with my coworker yesterday about this, like, what has it been like for us as we've been on the hill, you know, I've been in this office for 15 years. So I started, I think when Obama, I remember when Obama had his, when he was sworn in and, and that felt scary for some people. But then, you know, that died down. And then I think for me, I remember the moment that my husband and I, we had a wedding anniversary and we went to this cute little Airbnb on the Eastern shore and we're in bed and just like DC people <laughs> were like, oh, the second debate is on tonight. We should totally like- romantic. Let's <laughs> sexy. That's really sexy. Like anniversary trip behavior. <laughs> We should turn on the debate. Uh, so normally debates are really boring. You know, politicians, it drives me crazy because I'm very transparent and there's a lot of not answering questions. And so on this debate, it was the second one that Trump and Hillary had. And I don't know if you remember it. I actually watched it yesterday to remind myself of what happened because it just was glued into my mind, but I couldn't remember the specifics. And it was the one where they were up walking around uh-huh. I do remember. <laughs> Saturday night live skits. And, but I remember like we both kind of pulled the blankets over our heads and we were, I think we were both just shocked at what was said. Like, I think things before were kind of kept in, you might just play nice and people really, <laughs> yeah, they might be at each other during the game, right. During this political debate, but, but they were nice to each other afterwards. Of course, like, there's like a respect and there was a, right. yeah, there was, there was decorum. And I felt like during that debate, something changed and it, and it changed for me. I think just what happened at that point to me was the turning point. I'm not blaming that completely on Trump. I'm just saying that I felt like it kind of opened the door to a level of discussion that maybe would have just been kept down before. And it maybe gave freedom to share more openly, whether it be on social media or with your family or friends. And I think it started causing this, just a fire. You know, there's the Bible verse that talks about your tongue is a raging fire, right? Like a little spark and it will set the whole forest on Mm -hmm. fire. And I just feel like something happened then. And, and then it became, you know, we had the election and then it was the women's march. And then we had the Kavanaugh hearings. And I remember during the Kavanaugh hearings, I went over to the Senate Hart building to give a letter to a friend that I knew was just having a really hard day. And in the Senate Hart building, you can kind of look over and see the bottom from all of the different floors. and the screaming, there was this like reverberation of noise. And I was scared. Like I literally, I've never been scared at my job, but I was scared because people were just screaming. And I just said, I'm going home. I got in the elevator, got my car and I went home because I thought like something could happen here. And then, so that was the Kavanaugh thing. And then we had the impeachment and then we had it was the second impeachment. It was nonstop. And it was then nonstop. COVID. It was nonstop. Yeah. So I think I felt like it was like triage. In fact, during the impeachment in the Senate, I said to my staff, we're going to be like a, we're going to be like this rest stop. (laughs) We're going to be like a triage center and we're going to bake home goods and just invite all the media to come in and just people to like come in and get something to eat because it was just 24 seven and people were just. So it's been like, it's just been like breaking news. That's like the word that comes to me, like breaking news every day. I felt like. I can only imagine how difficult that made your ministry because 
we experienced that same just absolute disruption as just ordinary people who live in our cities and, you know, we don't work at the Capitol. And so when I think about the, your proximity to that level of absolutely like discourse that was in the gutter and all these edges that we've managed to sort of keep more or less tidy for a few hundred years, just fraying, just fraying. And then in the middle of that, your work is to provide faith counsel and ministry and like service to people's hearts and souls. I, I just cannot imagine the lift that that was. And I'm, I'm curious, like from a practical standpoint, when you're serving the Senate in the capacity that you do, even in this last little season of our historical story here, are these people coming together from two different sides? Is that over? Like, I'm trying to think of you in a room leading prayer or a Bible study with 50% Republican senators and 50% Democrat senators. I can't think of it. I can't, my brain won't give me the vision. I know. It's sad. It's really sad that we've come to that, that you would even say that, like that that would be a thought, right? It is Like that society has come to this point where we are no longer able to, there was a study that came out recently that said a fourth of Americans have considered moving because of politics. Actually like- A fourth? A fourth of Americans. And I've seen that happen in DC. So like, I completely believe it because I've seen it happen. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is. It's, that might be going on out there, but I feel like my calling and my job is, especially as a Christian, is to, I mean, I feel privileged to be around people who are different than me. And I hope that God has made me a peacemaker. That's what I'm trying to be. And my boss is definitely a peacemaker much more than me. That's what we aim to do. And we aim to bring a culture of, of peace and unity amongst people that believe very different than one another. And it's actually fairly easy when, <laughs> when you know someone that's different than you, because of it's course. really hard. It's yeah. hard to love. It's hard to hate people that you know. Absolutely. You know? Proximity is magic. I've seen that in my own neighborhood. I've seen it in my church. I've seen it in my work. Even yesterday at a Bible study, I have a girl there who works for a very conservative Senator, <laughs> one of the most conservative. And I have another girl that works for one of the most liberal. And we're there because we share faith. And we have these beautiful, amazing conversations. And I think it just helps take the, you know, take the noise down. It encourages me to hear you say that, that there are pockets, even as we speak, of people coming together across political lines because how it feels to us out here in the real world is that no one's crossing a line of any line, any line, anywhere, anytime. That's how it feels. And so, you know, the last time I was up on Capitol Hill, I was there on behalf of an organization I support. We were essentially lobbying for the continued funding of global nutrition and sort of health intervention. And it was interesting to be there in so so we're going from office to office with all of these mostly Republican representatives trying to talk them into this bill. And it, it was interesting that on the ground, there's a little bit, it's a little bit more nuanced than the story we seem to be getting all the time. Like there's more cooperation. Like we sat around tables with people from all over. We had several, we had one meeting with all like female chiefs of staff across the lines. And they were friends and they were, they took trips together and like, they were collaborating. And I'm like, oh, this story doesn't get told. You know, this isn't a part that we see. And it encourages me to hear you say from your, from your work, from your side of things, can I ask you this? What's your perspective on the faith of our political leaders as a whole right now? Like, what's your take on it? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? Is it gaining traction? Is it losing traction? Because you've been there a long enough time to really see some cycles. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd be surprised. I would love to be able to, you know, to share more. 
so much of what we do is confidential, but like I, I did actually, you know what? The other day I told someone that a certain Senator was in a certain group and doing a certain thing <laughs> was growing in faith. I see. And mm-hmm. this person was shocked, like shocked. Are you joking? Are you joking? You know, she actually comes to Bible study hmm. and I said, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So these are the things that I get to see. And it's just that I think that we are so political and so divisive that it's hard for some Christians, I mean, for both political parties, if you're in one party or the other, to understand that God is working in people of a different party. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. The senator might be of one party that you're not, but she's growing in her faith. And it is a beautiful thing, you know, and yeah, she might not agree with all the issues you agree with and you think are important, but that does not diminish that God is working in her life. And by the way, that she bears the image of God, you know, like it gets my blood boiling a little bit because we're so quick to say, what is the label that, you know, we put on that person? It's you're a Democrat or Republican. And if this is a broad brush, right. That I'm sure, sure. This is not everybody. I think we tend to think, oh, I'm surprised. You know, like, totally. I'm surprised yes. that that's happening. You're not wrong. And, and it's the, and it's just, it's, it's sad. It's really, really sad. Mm. And it hasn't always been this way. I think that is a hard, it's a bitter pill to swallow. One of my really close friends, her grandfather was President Ford. And it's really interesting to hear her tell stories that President Ford would tell, and of course, obviously Betty Ford. And, and you know, this wasn't that long ago. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. It really yeah. wasn't. And yeah. she would tell stories about how, like in DC, they'd all, all the senators would be there and, you know, they'd have their like verbal brawls, you know, on the floor. And, they'd and then go, they'd go smoke outside. <laughs> and they'd go to dinner together. <laughs> Like they'd go to dinner, they'd go to church together on Sunday. Like they just, they had this intellectual sort of spar, but then personally, nobody was dreaming of saying, well, because of your affiliation, I, I therefore know your character, right? Which is how it is now. And that's what you're saying. And that's happening at the DC level, but it's happening like in our neighborhoods. It's the same. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I hear it from all of my friends. I hear it from all of my friends. And I think one of the things, it's really disheartening for me. And I, and I would just say, even as a person of faith, as a Christian, I, I just mourn, like I mourn the, the rhetoric and the, the way we talk about one another and the inability we have to, to look at the other. And I think that is because we have so separated ourselves from people. So I want to go and live in a conservative place. I want to go live in a more progressive place. I'm going to, you know, on and on. I live in a neighborhood (laughs) that is so politically diverse. Thank God we have like the swim pool and we have the town hall that we can actually like, you know, have like when we were little, we'd take our babies there and we'd play with one another. You know what I mean? Thank God we have those things in common. Like we can, we're at the park together. So because we're at the park together, I cannot hate this person. You know what I mean? Yes. So I might, I know exactly where this person works, you know, <laughs> like, but I can't hate that person because I see them at the park and I play with their kids. We're at the pool together. And so, you know, I talked to my mom about this or my sisters, and this is not their, this is not what's happening in their world. And so I feel really privileged to live in a place that's diverse. And I try and find people, especially Christians that believe differently than me politically. And I want to know, like, what do you believe? What do you, like, what drives you? You know, what's it about your past or how you grew up or all of these things that make you believe who you are, you know, make you who you are? Why are you passionate about being pro-life? You know, why why did you vote for Donald Trump? Can you tell me? Can you explain that to me? Why are you liberal? Why are you, you know, why do you care about the environment? And all of these things. And these conversations have to be happening. But even in my own church, even in my own church, you know. We'll talk about something. I mean, my pastor tries to be really good about bringing up both sides of whatever, but like it'll trigger people, you know? 
we all like to feel like we belong and we're validated, you know what I mean? In our beliefs. And so it's hard when maybe we aren't, you know, when we're around different people. I love the questions that you just modeled. I think that is a really strong path forward. This sense of being across from somebody who is ideologically different, politically different, whatever, experientially different and prioritizing connection over just being right. If connection is our goal, well, that takes the pressure off our like clever talking points or being a essentially a pundit, <laughs> like an amateur pundit. But that then allows us to say, tell me more about that. Like, what scares you about that? Or how did you grow up? Or what did your parents say? Like all of a sudden, it's it a human. Yeah. Yeah. Of absolutely. Course. Absolutely. But I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. Even the other day, there was a senator who was just getting under my skin. You know, they were playing back this thing on TV. And I found myself just the hate welling up, like, and the anger. And I thought, oh my word, I am so angry right now. And I know this person's chief of staff. And I know him and I love this chief. And I know that he has issues right now with his kids. And I've been praying for him. And so I thought, okay. I need to reach out to him and send him an email and say, hey, by the way, how are your kids doing? Like, what's going on in your life? Because that, to me, was able to, like, heal my soul, you know, because I can't stay in that hate. I can't stay in this place where, where I'm dehumanizing the senator. That's so good. Oh, that's such a wise and mature way to handle your own reaction to somebody. Like to steer into the curve of connection and compassion. We can send our thoughts ahead of us and they will lead us. Like, you know what I mean? We will follow them where they go. So if your thoughts just go straight to, I hate this guy. Like, I hope he loses his job. Then that's how we're going to feel. And so it's almost like you can fake your way to where like, oh, how are your kids? Like you don't, you're making yourself be that way. And then before you know it, your heart softened. I know us community, we take care of our people. We always show up for them and we take on things that aren't even ours, but how often do we give ourselves the same care? right? Like how often do you show up for you? Because you matter just as much as anyone else does. And BetterHelp Online Therapy is putting a little reminder in your ear about this very thing, because therapy is one of the best ways I know how to show up for myself and take care of my mental health. I am absolutely protective of my therapy appointments. They are just as important as any other thing in my day. BetterHelp makes that part easy because it's all online with like video, phone, or live chat sessions with your therapist. So wherever you are, you can do this. And you don't even have to see anyone on camera if that's not your thing. BetterHelp is also much more affordable than in-person therapy and it's efficient. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So here's the gentle nudge to prioritize yourself with this critical form of self-care. Give BetterHelp Online Therapy a try and see why over 2 million people have used it. This podcast is actually sponsored by BetterHelp. And for the love podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash for the love. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Over the last year or so, I've really doubled down on my skincare. And where I've landed is this. I want my potions to be made with clean, simple vegan ingredients, but I also want them to actually work, which can be a tall order. But I started putting Osea in rotation recently, and you guys, I am impressed. Osea has been making clean, effective skincare for 25 years, so they know the ropes, and they have all the award-winning cleansers and serums and face moisturizers to prove it. But they're also known for creating amazing body products, like their famous body oil. Y'all, this oil makes your skin glow, literally. It transforms my dull, dry, wintry skin to soft, smooth, and nourished skin in like seconds. Since the first time I tried this, I don't think one day has gone by that I haven't used it. 
Osea also just released a body butter that works magic on dry or crepey skin with its lush, hydrating richness and no stickiness. It's been proven to moisturize skin for up to 72 hours. So find your new skincare favorites at Osea malibu.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. So get 10% off your first order with promo code for the love at OSEA malibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. You're going to want it all. Go to OSEA malibu.com and then use the code for the love. ask you this, Lisa, and this is kind of a higher level question that probably has a lot of tendrils. Do you think that faith has been weaponized in the political arena? I'm curious if you have experienced it as a tool, not necessarily something deeply genuine and sincere, but more like a useful tool with an agenda at the end of it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I believe in my own faith tradition, right? That I'm fighting against the world, the flesh and the devil. And I think that most people are, you know, and we so often, you know, in the name of God or whatever you believe, right, can justify a lot of different actions and behaviors. And you pull these things in and the way that, you know, faith and politics and religion all kind of intermingle. Yeah. And that's why I feel like I have to be so quick to listen to the Holy Spirit in my life, to confess and repent and to live in a way that's a constant because yeah, I see this all over. I mean, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear that, that that's what's happening, you know? Mm. And that's happening across the spectrum. That's how I feel that it's faith is very a usable topic. And it serves, it serves a bottom line. And that's not just on a conservative side of things. It can be on a liberal side of things as well. Oh, it yeah, depends on fine. which pocket of faith you want to pick up, <laughs> you know, like what, what's your deal? You know, there's, it's all in there. You can pick, you can pick what you want. Yes, so yeah, I, I, I wonder, and I, I'm just, I'm asking you really just to speculate here, but do you think this, the, the way that we see faith essentially used in the political arena has impacted the way that just U.S. citizens have viewed the church, have viewed organized religion? Do you think this political turmoil and has bled into what statistics are telling us is genuinely like a mass exodus from church right now? It's it's a hard, that's a hard question. It's hard to parse out. Yeah, it's hard to parse out. I, I don't know what's driving that. I don't know what's driving I could speculate. I'm sure that I'm sure politics has played in with those things. You know, I I think I I have just been more concerned about as a Christian, the Christian witness of the destructive words and the way we view other. So that's been my my big thing that has really saddened me and concerned me when we can so easily talk about people in a way that clearly not, I mean, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will see, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it has, I think people have been disillusioned. I remember there was this group of girls when I first moved to my neighborhood and had my child actually met this girl at the park and we became great friends and she's very progressive, has faith different than mine. I'm not sure actually what her faith is in. But she was getting a women's group during the winter because it's freezing in the winter. And, you know, we got to survive. So let's go to the spa. <laughs> let's go away for the weekend, the girls weekend. So we went and I remember the, we shared a room and I just, I love this girl. We've become just great friends. And she said, you're pro-life, aren't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like whisper, like her voice comes down kind of low. <laughs> like, just tell me, just, you can tell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's talk about that. And surely I probably was the only one. I mean, I'm middle of the road about most things, but yeah, like I've touched my family and it's important to me and it's not something I talk about in my work or other things, but, but it was just interesting that we, you know, and then we laughed about it and we, you know, that weekend was just so great to like be with 
people that, again, it's this, but I, I did think in the back of my head, like, how's she going to view me, you know, because of that, just that, like, are, are they all going <laughs> to, oh, Lisa, she's the one, you know, like, go home, Lisa. But no, they, they were wonderful and they're still good friends and they've taught me a lot about who God is in different ways. You know, I've been able to see the image of God in them. So I don't know. It's a tough question, but I'm afraid that over the past few years, people will start thinking of Christ followers as more of a political party, whether it be one or the other. And, and people who, for example, I don't post anything about politics on social media because of my job, but I did when Biden won. Actually, my friend was my, my dear friend who lives in my neighborhood was Kamala Harris's chief of staff, still a great friend. And we, you know, we just, she helped her write her speech, her acceptance speech about what, you know, girls, and this is the step forward for girls. And anyway, and I was thinking of her when I wrote this, you know, when my husband wrote this and we just wrote, congratulations to the new president. And at that point, I wasn't thinking, oh, people weren't really saying he's the president yet, right? Because oh, of course. Well, that's never been a thing we've ever said. So why would you, we have no precedence for that response. I just was, for, you know, I wasn't thinking. And so my husband wrote this on Facebook. He just said, you know, congratulations to the new president. And he didn't mean that by like, I am supporting, I voted for, I, there was nothing like that, right? It was nothing. It's just congratulations. And, you know, partly, probably I was thinking of my friend who, you know, like spent her last few years of running this campaign and being away from her children. And anyway, so I re I reshared it or whatever, reposted it or whatever it is on Facebook. And, you know, I got messages, like really painful messages. Like, are you, did you vote for him? Did you like just awful stuff? And I thought, oh my gosh, this is why I haven't posted anything. But I actually didn't think that that post would be bad. And I think that feels neutral. It felt so neutral to me. It totally. And my boss is so good. He says, when anyone says anything nasty to him, which they do, he'll say, just answer and say, pray for me that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And I thought of that and I just wrote back and I said, you know, please pray for me that I'm full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. What a lovely answer. I had to do that last week about a mask mandate at the kids' school because I had a low moment where I wrote something on someone else's post on Facebook and I got a message and I I just had to stop and pray. I called a friend and we prayed and we prayed for our school. We prayed for the other parents who are different than we are. And I just said, I can't, I can't engage because it's not healthy for my soul. Like it's just not, it will not take me to a good place. And yes, there's a time to speak up and a time, but neutrality, things that should be somewhat neutral have become land bomb, you know, like explosions. Like the pandemic, which you're kind of alluding to, like this isn't a partisan pandemic. It is, it's a global pandemic. Everyone. Yeah. And at the beginning, I just remember thinking we're in this together. I'm like, if there is anything that we are in together, it is this. Like this in in some weird way is gonna draw us together because collectively this is ours to fight. And then it's like, it's science-based, which again, it's science. This isn't, it's science. (laughs) That's neutral. It's just, and so even just watching what to me feels like an unimpeachable (laughs) connective point. Like you are my neighbor. I don't care who you voted for. It isn't. Now it, it isn't. isn't. It's become political. And it's, it's so become, political. I know. It is unbelievable. It's shocking. It's shocking. It's shocking. It's shocking. It's shocking. And so I would say to your listeners, find people that don't believe the same way and ask them over for dinner. You know, and if they don't want to mask up, then eat with them outside. You know what I mean? But like talk to them and get to know them and like it just can be one person. But like, we can't live this way. It will be just so destructive if we continue in these patterns. Like if we continue down this road, I'm like, wow, my kids, like, what are you going to, what do you, what kind of world are you going to be living in? You know? So much so. And I, I like how your leadership is working on this podcast right now, because I think it's a temptation 
for just the ordinary citizen folks like us to put the onus on our government leaders, on our political leaders, like y'all do better. Y'all behave, start acting That's right, a good point. like start working together and stop leading our country into the gutter. And, you know, we're just, we're pushing it up there in terms of this is an example that you're setting for the country and it's y'all's to fix. But really, I think, I think and we'll, go vote. <laughs> and we'll vote, but you guys behave like we're sick of this, but really it's, it's down on the ground. It's in our neighborhoods. It's, it's the moms at our schools. It's the dinners we're willing to have with people that are ideologically misaligned with us. That's where it happens. It happens it's, on the ground. And it's really one hard. conversation it's at so a time. Hard. So hard. So hard. So hard. So hard. And I mean, I have to catch myself. Like really, I, I am like the chief of sinners in this, you know, like it is so hard sometimes. And it's not rewarded. Like reaching out to somebody who is not a part of your camp, your camp is like, how dare you? Like, we don't associate with them because of this, 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 and this. You're being soft. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's punished behavior from the silos. And so, I mean, it really is hard. Absolutely. So I tried to start, I had started like a blog for my neighborhood as a way of reaching out. Or we, we actually do like a Christmas progressive dinner. And so we have different people host and we all get together. And I mean, it's just lovely. Like I want people to meet each other so badly. But anyway, I, I posted something or actually I didn't, I decided I want to have other people post. And you know what? It's not just going to be my voice as a Christian. I'm going to have other people post because they can post things about they're part of the community. So it's like, again, it's, it's just, it's not rewarded. And I, yeah, I grieve it. I grieve it. I do too. Brene Brown calls that braving the wilderness where you kind of stand outside your camp and you're, you're true to your own convictions. You're true to your own hope for reconnection and reconciliation and neither camp is happy about it. It's the wilderness. Like you are out there by yourself, like forging, you're like plowing up a new path that isn't just so divided. And it's, that is really hard work, but I just feel like if we are unable to take it on, who will like, really, who will, are we just going to watch our culture and our country just create a chasm that eventually becomes too big to bridge? I hope not. Yeah, I yeah, hope not. Absolutely. And what drives me is, is my faith in Christ. Like, and that's exactly how, you know, Jesus lived and what he calls his followers to do. That's our lead horse. You know, the, the, the example that Jesus set for us is that I believe also is our way through and out just this constant preferring one another, this sense of giving honor to disenfranchised and marginalized people that we is better than me, all of it, like the whole worldview, the whole thing, the the way that we respond to each other, the way that we're like slow to speak and quick to listen, the whole thing. This idea of community, it's just so vital, right? Studies have proven again and again that people in community have markedly improved physical, mental, and emotional health. So in the Gin Hatmaker Book Club, we talk about books every month, of course, yes. And we have all the bells and whistles to support that book talk. It's incredible. But what really we love, the absolute most, is each other. <laughs> Our book clubbers support each other like in the hard times. We celebrate each other in the good times. It's like magic. These are real, authentic, genuine connections that happen in our private face group, but also in real life. You guys, we have local chapters in cities and towns across the entire U.S. where members have cultivated, I kid you not, lifelong in-person friendships. They found their people. The sharing and caring that goes on in this community is just breathtaking, and you wouldn't believe the, the beauty that lives inside of this group. We want you to find the community and connection we all need. And we are waiting for you with open arms. So, I mean, come for the great books, but stay for the even greater community of women. Find out more at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. Okay. I think I'd like, before we kind of land the plane here, I just love, 
I'd love for you to tell us anything that you have experienced in your work that has felt hopeful, that has been connective, that has been like a beautiful moment where you just went this, like, this is what we hope for. This is what we work toward. This is some fuel for what it is you do. The people who work in the Capitol are amazing people. It's just, I wish everyone could meet them, especially the police officers in January 6th. And I, I wish people could see that, the relationships I've built with them and how hard they work. But we, I used to have, before COVID hit, I had a group on Wednesday mornings. We called it Hump Day Homily. <laughs> yeah, <I love laughs> it, was it. it was Wednesday. Yeah. We got to yeah. get through the week. And so we had floor staff. We had doorkeepers. We had capital police. We had... Um, the guys in green shirts who are the ones that, you know, come around and give us water and, you know, take care of our plants. And we, we would just get together on Wednesday mornings. And our main goal was, and this is going to sound silly, Christians might understand this reference, but, you know, I really believe that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And part of our work, part of my work as a Christian is to rule and reign with God, like meaning you know, the Garden of Eden was a beautiful place and everything was just, you know, it was fruit and the trees. And, and then we got kicked out of the garden, right? And, but there's this opportunity we have to renew the earth while we're here. Not just that it will happen one day, but that the earth is being renewed right here and now. And so like this group actually made a commitment to say, we're going to bring the Garden of Eden to the capital. Like our job is to make the capital a more palatable place. Like we're going to be salt and light. We're going to make this place a fruitful place. And then we had stopped meeting because of COVID. We had met for like a year and about a month ago or two months ago, one of the girls from the group brought me an orchid to my desk. If you're ever at the Capitol, it's the most beautiful room in the Capitol, which is crazy. I don't know how the chaplain got the most beautiful office. And we have a round window that overlooks the national mall. And my desk is right there. It's just, it's amazing. I pinched myself. And she brought me this orchid plant that's still sitting on my desk. And she said in her card, this is your little garden of Eden. Like you've reminded me what she's doing, which is her job is to be on the floor, to just be on the floor. She's a doorkeeper. (laughs) And so she has to listen to all of these speeches and everything that happens on the Senate floor. And she's trying to bring that part of her world, right? She's trying to make it more beautiful and more palatable for everyone who's around. And it was really hopeful for me to see all of us working together toward this one common goal of this is going to, you know, can you imagine what the Capitol in DC is going to look like in the new earth, like how glorious it will be. And, you know, if I can look out my window and see the national mall and see the beauty of God and what he has created and just these buildings and the grass and the landscape of it and in people, how much more glorious it's going to be one day. And, and so we kind of all made a commitment to let's have that start right now. You know, like let's be part of God's work here and now, not just as what is to come and just, you know, survive what's happening here, but let's be kind of the salt and light and renew this place and make it look beautiful. So that would be my story. That's a great story. That's so lovely. Love that so much. Okay. Lisa, these are like just, off the top of your head, three questions that I'm asking all my guests in the Faith Shakers series. And so here's the first one, and you can just touch down on it. What is the biggest shakeup you have ever had in your own, your own personal faith journey? And how did that change you? Yeah. So my mom my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she, I mean, numerous things. She had, we had one really bad year when I was 30 and I was single and my mom was my best friend and I was kind of her caretaker and watched her almost die a couple of times. And I, it was the first time I actually doubted my faith. I'm the type of person that's just, God did something in my life. It's so profoundly and won't let me go. And I felt like that year, I remember it was spring in DC and I felt like, oh my word, it's spring and spring normally makes me happy and I'm not. And God sent this person. Anyway, there's a, it's a longer story. I'm touching down. And so that's okay. 
that was my faith that, you know, the time in my life that was, that kind of shook my faith. And I think at the end, the Lord sent this worker out of the building that I was working in. He kind of chased me out the building and he went to a small Pentecostal black church <laughs> that's still right down the road as I go into, go into work. And he was like, I, I heard about your mom and we're praying for her and I have a word for you. And he told me this word and he said, you need to go pray for your mom's healing right now, right now. And I said, oh, okay. And I didn't even know this man. And so I thought, well, if I don't, if I don't go, that's you know, right. I, <laughs> that's and right. so I did, I went and I laid hands on her and I said, mom, I'm praying for your healing. And that was the end of it. And she had had, anyway, it was a healing. And wow. I think the Lord, what has said to me is that he is with me in, in severe trials and yet he will always send something, you know, it's like, he'll send water, he'll send manna, he'll send something when he knows that I'm just about ready to like throw in the towel. And it was what I, it was what I needed. It was the miracle that I needed to like, to keep going. Mm, thanks for sharing that. Wow. Okay. Here's the next one. Because this series, we're sort of, we're just sort of talking about faith that has been shaken up. And that's not always a bad thing. I, I don't mean it necessarily in a negative way. So do you think that it's possible to expand, question some of our faith systems or even doctrines without compromising our core beliefs? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've just, I'm actually going through seminary right now. I'm taking my last class. It's taken me five years. <laughs> Good job. And what are you getting? What well, degree are you getting? Are you getting an MDiv? I don't even know. I'm just joking. That's how I feel. <laughs> like, what am I doing? I'm getting my master's in biblical and um, biblical and theology. So That's great. Good for yeah. you. Yeah, it's been a journey. But it's that has really opened my eyes, right, to question a lot of things that my faith was based on an experience I had when I was 15 at a young life camp and God was very real to me and I didn't question it. There was no question. <laughs> and so I think when I went through seminary, I, I just learned a lot more. Right. And I, and I had to really use my brain and start to think about like things this. in different ways. Yeah. I like and this so much. So yeah, it's been, it's evolved and changed, but yeah. Um, yeah so I love that answer. Like faith doesn't mean that we check our brains at the door. Like we get to bring our, our minds to the task and we get to learn and listen and, and press hard on some old forms and see if they still hold or not. And that to me is deeply faithful work. That doesn't to me at all indicate, Oh, I'm wobbling in my faith or I'm doubting or I'm, uh, I'm slipping, which is, you know, somehow the way it's sometimes the way that sort of work is couched. But to me, that demonstrates a serious faith. Like you are bringing your whole mind, soul, and spirit to bear on this important stuff. And so I love to hear you say that. I'm so excited for you. You have one more class and you're done. This is yes. great. Yes. More women, more women with their seminary degrees. Like I am here for this. I have a caller now too, which is a crazy. Caller. <laughs> You have a costume, like, yes, wear that thing. I'd wear it everywhere. I swear. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And it's it's great to be a female in, in this. And, you know, that's been a whole nother journey. And I'm actually going to be studying for my last class. I'm going to write a paper on women in the Bible and the role of women in the church and try and discover that on my own. Cause I have lots of questions and, I'm just diving kind of deep into that as I'm, yeah, I'm sure. We I can't have believe similar. you just dropped this here that at the end of the interview. I just, that's what I just said. I can't believe you're dropping this at the end. I'm like, you're in my zip code right now. I'm like, wait this a minute. This could be a whole nother podcast. A whole I mean, nother I podcast. Like, I, I so grew anyway. up Baptist. And so women didn't have a place. They didn't have a role. A, a women, a woman going to seminary. That is, that is crazy talk. So know, like you are I now know. in my wheelhouse. And you know what? I'm going to a seminary. God put me in a seminary at an all black church. I mean, it's Denver seminary. It's a Denver seminary, but at a black mega church where they have women in leadership. And so it's, so it was like, it was eye opening on like multiple gender, <laughs> racial, yeah. like church culture. Like you're at a lot of intersections right there. I was like one of three white people in the whole, you know, and so we just had great, it was a safe environment for lots of questions. And 
I love that, that environment for you. I absolutely love that environment for you. I, when we are in any category where I am centered. And so we're not centered as women, but we're definitely centered as white people. Yeah, you know, we, we, we have the majority privilege around that. So any category in which I'm centered, I take all my cues from people on the margins, all of them. And it is their perspective. I go to first, I believe them over the centered perspective. I believe what I'm hearing from the margins. So the fact that you put yourself in a position God. to learn. God put me there. I swear. Uh, God put me there. I get it. So, so, so good. Okay. I have one more question for you. And I actually ask every guest in every series, final question. It's by Barbara Brown Taylor. And she is an Episcopal priest, just an incredible woman of faith that has been a mentor to me. So this is her question. And please, by all means, answer this, however you want to answer it. It can be earnest and sincere. It can be absurd and silly. We get every answer. So you just answer how you want to answer. This is a question she puts out in the world, which I love. What is saving your life right now? <laughs> you and I have something in common. I was on HGTV, but only one episode. Oh, yes. And I am obsessed with re- like any kind of redoing anything. I'm constant and I have to be busy all the time. So last summer, I found a A-frame home about an hour away from BC on the water. What? It was a mess. And it was a mess. And my husband didn't even see it. I just saw it online and I went down and I put an offer in. Are you <laughs> serious? Said, okay, I guess you can do that. Dead serious. And now it is an Airbnb and it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. It has its own Instagram page and its name and a little logo. And I spent the last six months because, you know, during COVID, we didn't have to come in every day. And I mean, I couldn't have done this if COVID wasn't around. It was kind of my COVID project. So it's called Hideaway on the Bay. And oh my gosh. It's a, little, it's a hideaway. It's really going to be my sanctuary. And I love everything. I love everything you're saying right now. I cannot wait to get off this interview and go look it up on Instagram and get obsessed. There's something special about restoring something right now when the world feels so oh, hard. When oh, everything just life-giving. feels so hard. Yes, life-giving. life-giving. And I can tell by our aesthetic behind you, you're good at it. And so I'm like, oh, I bet this place is gorgeous. I love like vintage stores and thrift stores. I'll just, oh, I love it. It's so fun. Okay. Well, I can't wait to look at that. I want to just thank you so much, Lisa. Number one, for being on the show, obviously, and being so transparent with me and my community and talking about things that matter to us too. And and then also just for doing your work with so much integrity for so long. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for staying in there. Thank you for fighting for unity and connection and compassion. I just, your work matters so much, so, so much. And you've set a beautiful example today for my community. Okay. Delighted to meet you. Just count me in your corner forever. I'm any way that I can support your work, that I can lift you and your incredible boss up and, and your your crew and everything that you're doing up there. Thank you. I'm in. So thanks for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, my hope is that that was encouraging. And I really appreciate Lisa's marching orders to do this work of compassion and connection and even reconciliation on the ground. It's not just our leader's job to fix this, to change this from the top down. I do believe that this work is from the bottom up and it's yours to do and it's mine to do and it's good work and it matters. It will indeed be standing, braving the wilderness. That's a fact. So kind of, we need to know that going in, but her example like encourages me and mentors me and instructs me. And I'm proud of her for, for keeping at this work across all these administrations, through all this political volatility. Okay, you guys, this whole Faith Shaker series is fire hot. Absolutely fire hot. We have some of the smartest, most interesting, incredible, faithful people who are just going to push all the buttons. There's a 100% chance at some point during the series, you're going to be uncomfortable, which, you know, is my goal. (laughs) We really love this series and 
it just came together so quickly and so beautifully that I just know every guest that we have coming on right now is it's just, they're meant to be in our community, leading us and guiding us. So don't miss any of it. Thank you for being such faithful listeners and for tuning in week after week for sharing our shows and reviewing and rating them, subscribing. Thanks for subscribing. Everything matters to a podcast, everything. It's a really crowded space. And so having this really committed group of listeners, this community of listeners keeps our show going. And I'm so thankful for that it does because every year it gets better. And we're delighted to serve you as always. Come back next week. We have another incredible guest to push us and challenge us and make us think. All right, you guys have a great week. 